Y'all back? These breaks are always a smoke break. It's a quick smoke break, and it's never, you know, we might as well just say, just go take all the time you want, you know. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Great stuff at the break. Always y'all come and visit. God, you know, we could just talk another two hours on just the stuff we talked about during the break. I just, y'all are the bomb. Uh, a couple of things real quick, and then I, I want to kind of finish what I was talking about. We'll run over a little bit into lunch because uh, we just, because we're running a little late, but not much. So, because um, we got to eat. We got to keep our stamina up. Um, I want to repeat one thing I said earlier because some of you guys, you know, you're coming from little big book thumper heaven. You, you're, you're in meetings where they're talking solution all the time. So some of this is just it sounds rhetorical. It's just like, well, I don't understand what the big issue is. And you're, you're some of you are spoiled like me. You know, my my home group, but we 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 do the work out of the book. We study, we read the literature, and, and so it, it's, we're not having some of this stuff. And then when when I took this new job in Austin at Mark's place, I uh, I had to go find a new home group. And I mean, I remembered why I was so grateful for my old home group in Ingram because you're traveling around and you're going from meeting to meeting and it's like, God, is anybody going to ever share the solution in this meeting? It's just like, it's like you, you can go to certain parts of the country and, and never hear the solution. I, I've just, I've said this a hundred times from people, even the people that have been to treatment before, it's very possible that these people went to treatment, sat in AA for years and still never heard the solution. And that can grind some people in this room, but I'm, I'm just telling you, if you're one of those that got to hear the solution, welcome. I'm glad you got here. Help us carry that message. That's all we're trying to talk about today. Uh, uh, but, but understand that all meetings are not created equal. They may have a circle triangle on it. You all understand that? That doesn't guarantee that what you're going to hear in that meeting is going to be the solution. And that's not, I'm not trying to be anything but honest with you on that one. So. I mentioned I was visiting with a uh, nice lady too, mentioning I talk a lot about quitting drinking, stopping drinking, blah blah blah. I need to make sure, especially if we've got some newcomers in here, that the the danger of just stopping drinking. I, I, I still to this day, and I've worked in detox stuff for for a gazillion years. Alcohol detox is still the most deadly detox. Uh, we lose more people in alcohol detox. It's not the most painful. The most painful detox is opiate detox, pills. There's what knocking these guys off their butts. It's just it's horrible. You feel like you're going to die, but you're not. You with us? With alcohol detox, you feel like you're going to die, and you might. <laughs> it's 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 scary venture, and it's not for everybody. Some people never detox hard. I mean, they just seem to be able to quit, shake a little bit, they're, they're okay. And some people, it depends on how far the disease has progressed in you. That's why a lot of people, as younger people, they don't need as much detox as some of us older geezers who, whose illness has progressed a long way. I'll say that while I'm saying it as a segue into this. If you happen to have some sobriety under your belt, don't lose it. I'll repeat what I said earlier. If you think because you stopped drinking that your illness stopped progressing, ask some people, uh, you know, I'm 20 years sober and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hitting on the 18 year olds. You know, Chris, what's going on here? There's, you know, never mind. Bill Wilson wrote a lot about it in subsequent years. It's, it's, it talks about this untreated alcoholism. What happens is our egos start to resurge again, and I'm not drinking one stupid day at a time, but I'm not doing the things necessary in the work to stay right-sized. So the selfish and self-centeredness that was kicking my butt back when my drinking days starts coming out sideways. I mean, i got buddies that have done more damage gambling than they ever did drinking. I've got guys that are all of a sudden stopped drinking and, and gained 200 pounds. 
You know, what are we trying to do? We're, you know, we're eating happy food 24-7, you know. We're having trouble get hooked up on the Internet, porn sites. It's amazing to me how many people that I've sponsored over the years that have got tangled up in, in porno. It's all the same stuff. It's, I'm trying to treat an internal condition. How about shopping? How many of you, any, any, it's not, I started to say ladies. Oh, my gosh, look, at you know. I found myself looking at handbags the, the other week, and I was like, <laughs> I just, and Patty's looking at me because I got a brand new to me, for God's sake. Well, I don't need another one, I, but I, I know, but I'm just, I'm just irritable, restless, and discontent, and I need something to, let's just go have a big ice cream instead, okay? I mean, something's going to fix what's wrong with us, and if we're not careful and awake to what's going on, we can switch over into some of these other addictions, and so, um, rock on, stick close I'll say this now, if you haven't figured this out. Some days I can be the worst example of what this program has to offer that you can imagine. I mean, this idea that we have to come in here and do it perfect is just ludicrous. It's just insane. And any of y'all are in here that are trying to do it, just good luck. <laughs> good luck. Uh, just That's why this daily reprieve thing is so important to me. That's why we have to come in here and do this. Because I, I want to get better. I want to I grow. I watch people in Alcoholics Anonymous living off experiences they had 20 years ago. You know, I, they went to treatment. They had a spiritual experience. They've not drinking one day at a time again. You'll follow. But they're miserable because they're still living off an experience. Bill Wilson wrote a lot about it. And it's one of the reasons that he went back out and wrote the 12 and 12, 11 years later. Was, was He was battling depression. Huge chunks of depression were coming back and eating his butt. And he started doing the work again, and the depression lifted. So the archive says. Make sense? You're just, some of you guys, you, you, you just, I don't want to live off that spiritual experience I had 23 years ago. I want to have a current experience with you guys today. And I think y'all want the same thing. That's, that's, um, I heard a guy from the podium the other day say, "It was if you've had a, if you haven't drank today, you've had a successful day." This is crap. This is crap. You're writing hot checks. You're cheating on your wife. You're bone powder dry. You're miserable as you can possibly be. <laughs> but you didn't drink. Oh, hallelujah! I'm fixing to go shoot myself, but I'm not going to drink. Come on, guys. Don't. My sponsor used to say, "Don't you smell more? Don't you think that there's more involved in here than just not drinking?" As I, I can assure you, yeah, I spent lots of time in those seven years in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous, had periods of sobriety not drinking, but my life didn't get better. In 1987, when I, uh, uh, when I walked back in that room and those people got around me, um, uh, uh, the, the chairperson uh, is, is, took charge of the meeting and they asked the, the room to go around and share. I'll never forget. I hear people all the time saying they don't remember their first meeting. I remember most of my meetings. Because, but I, this one in particular just took my breath away. And I, uh, they, uh, uh, he said, let's share with, with uh, Chris how our lives have changed as a result of doing the steps. Uh, he gave them specific instructions. We don't want to hear any war stories. We don't need to know how you got here. It just drives me crazy. You know, with this? Our stories are so important, it's not even funny, guys. And I could ask the question, and I think most of you would get it. Uh, when, when are our stories the most important? It's in a 12-step call. You follow? I go down to the fish and chip place, and there's a guy over there fighting a bottle of ketchup, and he's drunk on his butt. You know what I'm saying? Now, I can help this guy, but if I go up to him and just say, hey, you know, have you found Jesus today? And, you know, <laughs> I found God 23 years ago in my life's been, you know, I'm going to walk out with that ketchup bottle stuck up my butt, you know, and I, I, 
Because he's, he's not, but I could go and I could tell him about me having the same fight with the same ketchup bottle 23 years ago, you know, and we could share a few stories and laugh. And then pretty soon he'd say, but you're not drinking now. And I'd say, absolutely, I'm not. I've been sober a long time now. And he's going to ask the question. Inevitably, they'll always ask the question, how? Like fishing, you know, set the hook and reel him in at that point because he's done, you know. Then you can tell him how you got well. You with us? You got to have a story. My problem in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was, was talking with somebody at the break, who, who, and I needed to clear this up. You know, I'm not saying that we don't need a story. It's our story in a 12-step call is quite necessary. But sitting in a meeting, telling the story again. You with us? Here's the, the guys in, in, in the United States. They go, well, you got to keep it green. You got to keep it green because if you if you forget where you came from, you're going to get drunk again. Well, the book tells you point blank on page 24 is that there's going to come a time when you won't remember even a week or a month ago. It's telling you you won't remember. That's what alcoholism is. If you think that you can remember puking in that toilet every time to stop you from drinking, you're you're mistaken because there will come a time. The big book talks about a mental blank spot. You won't remember that. Y'all understand that? You think you'll remember the jail cell clanging in front of you? See, that's what I did for seven years. I'm sitting in the meetings listening to your stories, and I'm saying, but I'm not like you. I've never been to jail. I'm not like you. I don't black out. I'm not like you. I've been to work every day. I've never missed one day of work, not one, because of my drinking. And you're telling me all this crap you did? What? Why? For identification? No. Because you're using no discernment about that. Instead of pulling me with a vision like Bill Wilson asked us to do, we're trying to scare these people in. Our judicial system in the United States, I don't know about England. I've learned a long time ago. Be careful what you say in other countries because it may be all different. But, but in the United States, we punish the daylights out of you. You start having DWIs, drinking while driving, we're going to arrest you. We're going to make the consequences steady, worse for you. Eventually, we'll put you in jail for a long, long period of time. You follow? It's kind of pretty much no tolerance in the United States now. We're believing that that will help. And for the hard drinker, the moderate drinker, Drinker, that stops them. They go, I don't ever want to go back to jail again. I, it cost me a fortune. I don't want to ever do that again. They stop. Given sufficient reason, I don't want to be somebody's date in jail. <laughs> Some of you look like you'd fare okay in there. I, I, would, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So, but but, but that's, that's what the United States believes. That's our judicial system. We're going to punish you and then you'll stop. That's what our families do. If you keep drinking, I'm going to divorce you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Don't let the screen door. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, you know, because you're going to go. Because my intention is that every intention. When I told you I was going to stop, I meant it. Y'all need to understand that. When I screwed up my courage to come into Alcoholics Anonymous and sat in these scary rooms with you people, I wasn't doing this on a whim because I didn't have anything else to do on a Thursday evening. I I knew I needed to do this. I, I, I meant it. I wanted to get sober with every fiber in my body. The newcomers do. But we waste our time when they get here by telling them some more scary stories in the, in the, in the attempt of, of, of identification. I, I said this the other day. We'll talk about it more in the, this afternoon in sponsorship stuff. But I see it in, especially with, with, at noon meetings. It seems to be where we get most of the women a lot of times. they got kids and they're working, and these, these women. And they'll come into our noon meetings and you'll see them. They'll come in and... They'll have their little Louis Vuitton and, and the little bag in front of them, you know, and they're, they're scared to death. They got a little sheet they got to get signed, you know, and they got a little DWI last weekend. And so they court and they got to get some paper signed. So we rock on. Come on in. Let's go, you know. And they're sitting there in the front and say, oh, we have a newcomer. Well, let's tell Cindy how we got here. 
do you think Cindy gives a rat's ass how you got here? She's scared to death. All she wants to know is, can I wake up tomorrow and not want to go drink? Can I ever get free of this obsession? To, to... Will I ever not throw my kids in the car at liquor store closing time? But we're going to stare, tell them some scary story that may or may not be able to. And I, we see it in Texas. They always got these good old boys retired. It's a big retirement community. They're over there scratching them old hairy leg boys. And they're telling the little girl, Yeah, little missy, I don't know about you. I think I spilled more than you ever did. But let me tell you what happened to me. And then we go, Oh, here we go again. <laughs> and then we're going to hear about his four DWIs and the people he chopped up and put in plastic bags and, and all this. And, you know, and of course, and we're just we're like bored. You know, we're, can you imagine? We're bored. Can you imagine what the poor, poor Cindy's going through? You know, she's, she's looking in her bags and why in the hell did I do this? You know, and at the end of the meeting, she picks up a chip. Thank you for, for sharing so openly with me. And uh, thank you. She's out. Is she coming back? Absolutely not. She'd die before she would. It's like me sitting up here, just sitting in an AA meeting, talking about me eating out of dumpsters in Houston, Texas. You want to hear about that? I mean, I'll sit there and tell you. I could bring tears to your eyes about my, my short time on the street. I could tell you these old sad, sad stuff. Or do you want me to tell you about how absolutely cool my life is today as a result of not drinking and drugging? My life, because I don't drink today, is Unbelievable. Get a chance to come to England and meet a whole bunch of people and buds and oh my God, how did I get here? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the new job you're fixing to get. Let's talk about the money, the credit cards. Let's talk about the sex. Let's talk about the cool stuff that happens. Making babies and having all the, doing the cool things that you want to go do. The dreams that you're going to have. No, we're too busy trying to scare you into recovery with another stupid war story. Does, does Chris Raymer feel pretty strongly about that? <laughs> William White, there's a, there's a, there's a wonderful man here in Florida, and he wrote some stuff. He, he wrote the book uh, Slaying the Dragons, a, a, a beautiful treatise on the, on the treatment center industry in, 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 in the world in, in recovery. And it's excellent work. He's, he's a terrific author. William um, uh, White, and uh, I'll send you a connection to the guy if, you, if you're interested, but he wrote a great article talking about this transformational event that takes place with us in recovery. As we come into recovery, what happens is that we have this thing called a spiritual experience, and that's what we're looking for. But what happens with most of us is we get here, and we stop drinking and stuff for a period of time, and we get our feet on the ground. And then what happens is, of course, the old-timers, they call it a pink cloud. You know, it's like everybody that comes in, I don't have to do anything, and I feel good. It's like the two-week wonder I was talking about earlier. That happens to a lot of us. I dodge the bullet one more time. I come in here, I start feeling a little bit better, and I think it's going to last. I think, shit, I got this. I mean, this is pretty good. I'm on my third week and haven't thought about anything drinking and drugging. I'm okay. But see, the problem is, is what, and he makes clear in this article is, and our experience confirms it, is that we, we, instead of using that time to get these guys through the steps, that's what Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob did, we pinch him on the cheek and tell him to go sit over there on the side and keep coming back, honey, and everything's going to be okay. And then when the obsession to use comes back, because going to meetings and not drinking doesn't treat alcoholism, when it comes back, the obsession, the insanity, and we drink, it's again, it's always our fault. Well, he just didn't want it bad enough. Well, well, who sat there and let him sit on his ass? Who told him to go sit on his ass? I mean, at what point did it become okay for the newcomer to, to decide how fast they were going to do this work? Who's running this show? 
ultimately God, we got the instructions, but we're going to do it our way and not even bother to get in there. You'll follow? I hear people in treatment all the time, they want to talk about it, say, well, this is not a race. You, not my kind of drunk, because <laughs> it is a race. It is a race. And some of us, early on in the illness, maybe you've got weeks, months that you could just sit on your butt and not do anything. But if you're the real McCoy and you have this illness, it will gradually, one day, the obsession to use will come back and you will not call your sponsor and you will not go to 90 meetings in 90 days and you will not just say no, you will drink. Because that's what we do. And it may be something really tragic, and it may be something really stupid. But you'll come up with an excuse to, to, to quell the confusion inside. Y'all good with that? Y'all clear with that? The people in here that are not are the people that have sat on the sidelines and have not done any of this work, and that they think I'm making a big deal out of nothing. Well, I quit. They can do it too. This is, this is, this is ridiculous to compare ourselves like that. I don't know how fast that disease has progressed in you. I don't know where you're at with that. The big book talks specifically about young people being able to stop for long periods of time on their own. But as the illness continues to progress, not egged on by alcohol, but just the natural progression of the illness, it'll be less and less likely that they'll be able to do that. That's why I said if you've got some sobriety, don't think that you can get it back again. Because our experience in this fellowship is people with long-term sobriety that lose that sobriety, they have the toughest time coming back i got a friend of mine right now. Bless her heart. I love her dearly. Some of y'all know her. She's, she's, she's had a tough year. She had, she had a relapse around some pills and then ended up drinking again. And alcohol has kicked her butt. Ten years sober. Drank. And it's, it's, it's just a bear to, see, to watch and see what she's doing. Y'all understand this? The illness has progressed so much further now. What, what she could do relatively simple back then, she can't do now. The, narrow, the path, the spiritual path, gets narrower, not wider. So you're sitting in the rooms and you're complacent and you don't feel very good about this. You think this, well, no, what's the heck? It's just got one day anyway. I can do it again tomorrow. You, you don't think that. If you've, got a, if you've got a day, if you've got a week, three months, six months, welcome. Stay. Stay, stay, stay. It, uh, these guys had me the next day. I, I, uh, they, they finished qualifying me. They set me down and... Um, they asked me the specific questions in the book. We can talk more about that this afternoon. But the, the, the questions are summar, summarized on page 44. It talks about what an alcoholic looks like. And Bill Wilson asked us to ask the newcomer two questions. Uh, and, of course, then they came up with a brochure that's got 44 questions on it, which pisses me off. And I just, again, because what I'm going to talk about in the next 30 minutes was the mixed messages that we're given the newcomers. And we, 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 we confuse the bejesus out of these folks. Of course, everybody wants to blame the treatment centers, but our own fellowship is in the process of doing this same confusion. It's, it's, it's absolutely insane. If the big book asks us two questions, and now we've got a brochure over here that's got 44 questions, where's the, where's the, the disconnect? You'll follow? Of course, you go to treatment and you fill out this psychosocial, and it's like you know a two-day event, filling out all this stuff to diagnose yourself. But Bill Wilson could understand it. In order to be a real alcoholic, you've got to have two symptoms. It's just like it's symptomatic. It's like going to a doctor. You don't go to the doctor and say, I don't feel good. His doctor says, what's wrong? Well, I don't know. I just don't feel good. You're not going to get much attention from this doctor. Go to the doctor and give him some specific symptoms. Then he goes, oh, shit, that's pneumonia. Here's what we need to do with you. And they'll give you the medications and you'll be okay. You all understand? But we, we, have, we have sort of advocated our responsibility around the, the screening of the people coming in. Because we think once they're here, people get tweaky about this. You're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous if you say you are. 
You with me? You can be a duck if you say you are. I don't care and I'm not going to argue with you. Welcome. Quack, quack. That's okay with me. You can be a member with us. But in order to be an alcoholic, you've got to have certain symptoms. Period. There's many kinds of drinkers, but all of these drinkers have the same symptom. When I start to drink, I can't guarantee you how much I'm going to drink. doesn't mean that every time I drink, I turn into a zombie and rob liquor stores and black out and do stupid stuff. It means that at certain times, I intended to drink two drinks and go home, and I drank three. You gotta look at that. Did you intend to drink three? Did you set out to drink? No. Because the craving kicks in and I'm off to the races. How many of you guys have ever, how many of you guys have ever drank until you were just miserable? You didn't want to drink anymore. You were so full you wanted to bust, but you found yourself opening one more beer. You'll follow? Isn't that funny? Everybody on this side raised their hand and nobody on this side raised their hand. It's like, wow. So we found out where the real alcoholics are. Let's go. So anyway. No. But you gotta, you gotta think about that. What happens is this craving kicks in, and I don't know when it's gonna kick in. It's, a lot of times that's what the functioning alcoholic looks like. I, there's a lot of times in corporate America, I could drink a couple of drinks and go home. I've done that a million times. They, buy a six pack, drink two beers, and put the rest in the refrigerator. I've done that. People say, I've never done that. I, I can't relate. I have done that. The book asked me though, was there ever a time you intended to drink a six pack, and you drank two or three, and the craving kicked in, or one, and then you ended up going back to the store and buying a 12 pack? Why didn't you buy a 12-pack at 5 o'clock? Well, I didn't want a 12-pack at 5 o'clock. I know. This is something to look at. The, the phenomena called craving. Now, listen, your bodies, guys, we could do a whole hour talk just on the craving things because it's pretty cool. But you all got to be careful what you put in your system because we're watching lots of cats relapse today because they're not understanding. Your body doesn't care how you put this alcohol in your body. You all understand that? I'm not addicted to, to Lone Star beer. I'm addicted to the alcohol that's in Lone Star beer. So I can put cologne on my face that has alcohol base in it, and as it absorbs through my skin and hits my bloodstream, if my disease has progressed pretty far, it'll trigger the craving, and all of a sudden, I don't know why I can't not drink. I keep thinking about alcohol all the time, because you keep triggering the craving. Y'all understand? Mouthwash. I can't tell you how many people I know that have relapsed around stupid mouthwash. It's epidemic in our country today around sleep medications. Y'all know with the, the, the Lanesta stuff, you know, the little, the little butterfly. Some of y'all are taking it now. I'm not saying don't take it. I'm saying you be real careful with it because it can trigger the craving and send you right straight back to the alcohol. You might want to ask yourself why you can't sleep. It, it might be the fact you haven't finished your stupid amends. I don't know. <laughs> just, a, just a thought. I'm just saying. <laughs> When I tried to commit suicide in 1987, I was taking seven pills a day, folks. Antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, sleep medications. Oh, my gosh. I just drooled all day long, you know. But I'm not drinking one day at a time. And I, I'm just a mess. And all doctor-prescribed medications, and I'm not knocking that. But my, my story was I didn't need those medications. My story was that we were medicating the symptoms of untreated alcoholism. Uh, uh, clinical depression and untreated alcoholism look identical. It's why it drives me crazy in treatment when we want to diagnose this immediately. Little meth head comes in, he's all fried pie, and the guy's alcoholic, and he's he's been drink, drinking all his life, and he comes in, and his teeth are falling out as you're talking to him. He's been he's in such bad shape, and you ask him, "Are you depressed?" <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. It sounds like you have clinical depression. We're going to put you on some medications that are going to screw you up the rest of your life. Okay, but. Uh, you know, come on, guys. Let's get a chance to get detox and find out what the problem is. Because a lot of times when we do the work, in my case, the depression lifted. Yeah, and that's it's 
on our, I mean, everybody wants to take a pill to fix something. I, I, I can understand that. But it's not necessarily always the answer. But anyway, this, this craving thing, y'all got to be careful what you put in your system. Uh, 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 O'Doul's non-alcoholic beer has alcohol in it. Be careful. Christmas time, we always lose them around Christmas. I ate some rum cake. You don't think that's what did it, do you? Yeah. My mom still to this day doesn't understand that. She, she, every Christmas she buys me a little box of those, what do you, I keep forgetting, cordials, those little ch- cherry filled god dang it things. They got a little, al- yeah, they got liqueur in them. They got a little alcohol in them. Just not much. She, she said, she, you'd have to eat a basket of those to get drunk. <laughs> she doesn't understand. No, you don't understand. All it takes, come on guys, how many of you got drunk on a, on a, on a keg of beer? You got drunk on the first beer and the craving kicked in and you went off to the stupid races. She didn't understand. I am responsible. Sitting in that plane coming over here like that, they had a delay and they passed out free drinks to some of the cats, you know, and the guy next says, oh, this is great. I get a free drink. And I, and, and, and he, and he drank it. And I'm watching. I said, you, don't you want another one? We're going to be here a while. He says, he said, honest to God, he said, he said, no, he was an English guy. He said, no, I says, I'd have to pay for the other one. I just, I just sat a little higher in my seat. I just felt more secure knowing I was traveling with a, with a, with a normie. Oh my God. God almighty. Anyway, you watch the phenomenon of craving. The first question is, can you control it every time? No, I can't. But see, if that was the only problem, then detox centers, treatment centers would crank out 100% success rate. Because we can get you physically detoxed off all the chemicals, drugs, or whatever, alcohol. We can get that stuff out of your system. So if the craving was the only thing we had to deal with, we'd be okay with that, right? But we don't have 100% success rate coming out of detoxes. We have almost 100% failure coming out of detoxes worldwide. Not treatment centers, not recovery centers, but detoxes. You with us? Because that just gets us part way. That's the physical piece we talk about. The second piece, Bill Wilson spends 20 pages talking about from 23 to 43. He talks about the mental insanity of the first drink. He talks about the fact that we have lost the power of choice in drink. It appears to you that you're choosing to not not drink today. But really, did you get up this morning as you brush your teeth say, I'm not going to drink today? I haven't ever done that in 23 years since I got sober. The obsession lifted, and it's never been a question whether I have to answer or not. I didn't sit in that airport yesterday at that bar eating that hot dog saying, I just want to eat this hot dog. I'm not going to look at those bottles. I don't want to drink. I didn't, it's because, because it ceases to be a problem. The 10-step promises have come true. I've been placed in a position of neutrality. If I have to be around dope, I'll, I can be around dope. If I have to be around alcohol, I love live music. Best thing they do in treatment. They say, well, you, if you love live music, you know, you, you're just, you're, you're too bad. You know, you just, you can't go to those places because, because they serve alcohol there and the slippery places and slippery things will get you drunk. You know, it's not my, not my experience and that's not what the big book says. You with me? How many of y'all agree with that? It's what the books, okay. Alcoholics Anonymous in 1972 produced an absolute piece of crap called Living Sober. <laughs> my, my boy. And we, the membership, give them permission to continue to print that piece of trash, that absolute piece of crap. We give them permission to print. And the the fellowship should be ashamed of themselves because of that. Y'all follow? We make, there's a guy in Canada that makes me coffee coasters out of them. He tapes them up so you can't get into them and puts a little plastic plate on there so you can set your hot coffee on there with some warnings. Do not open. May kill you. (laughs) We set it down. It's hilarious. I'll send you one. I mean, good gosh. You know, we, we, could, we could make a fortune selling the bastards. Y- y'all understand? 
But this is the part I'm saying. But you, in treatment, we're going to give you a big book. Here you go, bud. We're going to give you a big book. We're going to give you a living sober book. Okay, so you're going to read the big book, and then you're going to say, oh, man, that seems a little wordy. I don't know. And then you're going to pick up living sober and open it up, and you're going to start reading, and it's going to explain how you can keep yourself sober. God dang, listen, this is telling me that I must have a spiritual experience in order to recover. It says it right up on the very very prefaces that i got to have a spiritual experience in order to recover. But this book over here, published by the same people, is telling me that I can keep myself sober. All i got to do is not stay get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Don't, don't get horny, angry, lonely, or tired either. All of the mixed messages in our own literature. If you look at Living Sober, if you look way back over in the back, and guys, trust me, it's been, we've been, we know people in New York that are trying really hard to get this thing off the shelves because it confuses the bejesus out of the newcomer because it contradicts the message. I walked into uh, AA uh, early on in... Um, and it's, uh, I was laughing about it last night. There was a, there was an old geezer come up and one of you guys, I signed your book and it, it looked just like this guy's book. It's all busted up, had duct tape on the back because he'd opened it up so much. Pages are coming out. I mean, obviously somebody had used that for something other than a coaster, you know? And, uh, uh, it, it was just pretty, I'm honored always to sign those books and it makes me want to cry. But this guy came up, he said, he said, you want to go get a hamburger with us and afterwards we're going to sit down and do some book work. And I, I'm thinking, well, I don't have a book, but I'll go with you and get a hamburger. And, you, and I'm thinking that's pretty cool. And I look back over this guy's shoulder and this lady sitting in the back by the coffee bar. And she's going. <laughs> I'm looking up, looking back. And I, and I finally just, I, you know, I defer to her. I was like, you know, buddy, I just remembered I got to get back to work, Scoop, but I'm not going to have time. But maybe we'll do it next week. And he said, buddy, we'd love to have you. Thank you very much. He left and split and there's no big deal. And I walked over to the lady and I said, what, what, what? She said, I'm so glad I saved you, buddy. I'm just so glad. Listen, all he wants to do is talk about that big book stuff. All you need to do right now is just, you just need to go to meetings and not drink and everything's going to be okay. Thank you for killing me. Why didn't you just load a gun and hand it to me and tell me to go out in the back and shoot myself? Because that's exactly what I was headed for. Y'all understand? Come on, guys. If you can just go to meetings and not drink, why in the hell do we need the book? Why did, why did Bill Wilson bother about putting it in writing? Because four years after the starting and the inception of Alcoholics Anonymous, he could already see the success rates drop. He could already see the message getting skewed, everybody's personal opinions getting involved. And that's why the first 100, they'd made every mistake you could make in, the, in, 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 in how this thing is organized and the pathway to get to this thing called a spiritual experience. And they, and they wrote it down in a book. So we didn't have to make the same stupid mistakes. And then you've got these cats, these well-meaning cats. I'm going to ask the question again. Was this lady trying to hurt me? She was as, as, as loving as she could possibly be. She was trying to help me. She was under the impression that this old scary geezer was going to scare me off by trying to get me to do the work. Her information allowed me to sit on the sidelines long enough for my head to say, you can't do this. You need one drink. And I was off to the races again. Whose fault was that? I mean, again, it always revolves back. It always drops on my shoulders. Why have seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous didn't I own a big book? I mean, ultimately, whose fault is that? I, I'll, t- I'll take blame for that. Who in the hell allowed it? We still see it day in and day out. You're sitting in meetings. You've been in these goddamn rooms for months, and you haven't worked any steps yet. And then we wonder when you relapse whose fault that is. We wonder why people get up and they come out of detox at these places where we work and they look at the walls and they see the steps on the wall and they go, oh, shit. What? What? 
AA, I thought for the money I'm spending here that we'd do something different. I, I've, I've done AA. It doesn't work. You'll follow? I've heard it a thousand times. Here's the truth. You ask them a couple of questions and you find out they haven't done AA. They've been to meetings. And meetings are one part of a three-part program. In 1953, Bill Wilson, 1952, adopted the circle triangle, the three parts of the program, so that we could stay in all three parts and stay sober. It's when our success rates were great. 1992, they decided that it was a copyright infringement. They took the circle triangle out of our big book in the United States. You'll follow? We were more concerned about somebody making bumper stickers with a circle triangle on it, so we just took it out of our literature. Ignorance. That's why i got to travel with a rubber stamp. If you've got a big book published in the United States and doesn't have a circle triangle in it, let me stamp you one back in the front so you can stay in all three parts of the program. Because i tell you what, my friends, what I know today, clear fact, no matter what my life is like, if I stay in all three parts of the program, I can stay sober. That night they sat down with me when I first got in there. Actually, it was the next morning. They said, Chris, let's find out why you can't stay sober. We were talking about relapse. I said, buddy, because they've seen me in North Texas picking up chips for seven years. Why can't you stay sober coming out of treatment? I can do it for periods of time, but I can't stay. And he's got the circle triangle. It's not up there anymore, but you all know what the circle triangle looks like. At the bottom of it is recovery. There's this little word recovery on the bottom. And what, he said, what is that? And I said, well, it's the 12 steps. And he said, well, have you worked the 12 steps? And I says, I'm working the steps to the best of my ability. <laughs> when you're working with somebody and they say that, that's, that means no. <laughs> Every time that means no. It's a, he said this, a yes or no question, buddy. Have you finished all 12 steps or not? I looked down. I said, no. He took a little pencil and, scr- and marked off that bottom little piece. He just X'd it. I said, he said, what's, what's unity? What do you think unity is? Up, upshot of that triangle. I said, I sh- it's a fellowship. Ab- right. He said, it's meetings, right? I said, yeah. He said, are you going to meetings? And I said, absolutely. Meeting makers make it. And he rolled his eyes and he gave me a check mark. He'll give me that. He said, what's the service? The downside of the triangle. What's, the, what's AA service? Oh, I don't know. Making coffee, whatever. What's our primary purpose? Fifth tradition. What's our, what's our main job? Service structure, first page. Our main job, to carry the message of hope to the newcomer. Oh, but you haven't worked the steps, so you have no message to carry. Exit. So let's see if we can get this straight. In a three-part program designed to treat a three-part illness, you're in exactly one part. It's a three-legged stool, same scenario. Sit on it. You could do jumping jacks on a three-legged stool. It's pretty soft. Cut one leg off. You can still do it if you can balance pretty good. Cut two legs off. Get ready to fall and bust your ass. Y'all follow? Everybody in this room, including myself, that's relapsed or having problems with staying sober can look at all three areas, and you can, you can look at that, and, and I can tell you why you relapsed. You either gave up on the recovery piece, stopped working your own steps, you pulled back from the fellowship because you were too getting busy doing something else, didn't have time to give back, and you didn't sponsor anybody. One of the things that we're seeing, I'm going to talk about it more later after lunch, one of the things that we're seeing just nonstop is this um, uh, reoccurring of uh, coming back into treatment, these old sobriety coming back into treatment. These guys with 20 years, 15 years, 10 years of sobriety coming back in through 
treatment centers again. They were sober a long time. We got a guy up there in the hills where I was before and had 30 years of sobriety. He's back in treatment again. And I ask him, point, I'll, I ask them all because I revere the old timers. I love the, the mentors that we have still in this fellowship. And, uh, and we need those people. I went up and asked him, buddy, what happened? I asked him one question. How many people were you sponsoring? None. I've yet to get a, a, a positive answer. They say none. In 1987, after the suicide attempt, these old-timers made a point to show me on the page 14 and 15 in the big book in Bill's story where it says point blank that we will not be able to stay sober unless we grow spiritually by work and self-sacrifice for others. It didn't say you can stay sober by praying. It didn't, it didn't say that. I'm not against prayer. It's a part of this. But you can't stay sober with just a prayer. book says that we grow spiritually by working with others. And even if it's a pain in the ass, we still got to do it sometimes. And that's what, that's the topic of this afternoon's conversation. But these guys, for the first time, they clearly pointed to me in the pages and showed me why I couldn't stay sober. And I said, well, I was never sober long enough to help others. And he turned on the bottom of page 129 and it said, in those first days of convalescence, nothing will ensure your sobriety like intensive works with another drunk. It's telling you in those first days, you better be working with a drunk. It doesn't mean that you need to be up here doing a workshop or, or, or some, but, but you can chair a meeting. You, somebody will show you how to do that. These guys in 1987, they got around me, guys, and they loved me. There's a Grapevine article, 1955. Um, there's some great articles in the Grapevine, but I'm not a huge fan of the publication. I'll say it on tape. I'm just, I'm just not. Because because they print things that are, again, an exact opposite of what the big book tells us to do. And why our own fellowship wants to cut muddy up the water, it takes the breath away. You can get mad about it if you want to. I don't care. People are dying out there because of that. Article in 1955, this nice lady says, Coming into AA and finding the acceptance in love. I want to puke. <laughs> Most selfish, self-centered people on earth. Page 62. Selfish and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of the problem. Here we go. Coming into AA and finding the acceptance in love I sought through the bottle was relief beyond description. But reading the steps was a shock. Oh, my God. Fortunately for me, my home group not hammer the steps into newcomers. Rather, they talked a lot about the slogans and the need not to drink one day at a time. I needed that. How does it work? Daily. On a daily basis, I choose not to drink. Our own, our own AA publications printed this. This is the stuff that took me to a suicide attempt in 1987. Because this lady can just not drink one day at a time. She can choose not to drink. And I don't seem to be able to do that. Y'all understand that? I wish her well. But she's killing people with this crap. We could all get on the same page. Glenn, uh, commentator in the United States, was on Larry King, big commentator. Nice guy, I'm sure. Always introduces himself on the program as he's a recovering alcoholic. Buddy, when somebody publicly introduces themselves as, re- as recovering, you know that they're not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Before the day is over, I'm going to show you in the page where it tells you to introduce yourself as a recovered alcoholic, guys. We need more hope shared out there, guys. We need to stop making it sound like we're a fellowship of a bunch of sick people one day at a time struggling to stay alive. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's just not, it's not appropriate. 
Here's, here's this commentator talking about Larry King. He's talking about his recovery. He says, what gets me about these celebrity folks? He's talking about Brittany and all the, you know, all the celebrities. He says, what gets me about these celebrity folks is, hey, they have a choice whether they're going to drink or not. Just get up and make the choice not to drink. It's that simple. What's wrong with you losers? How come you can't get this? Somebody, a guy from Florida sent me this, this email. It was a guy 59 years sober in the meeting. 59 years sober. And the gist of his meeting was, the gist of his talk was, my gambling addiction was worse than my alcoholism. Wow. There's a lot of hope for the little newcomer shake rattling, rolling in the back. And the second piece was quitting drinking isn't rocket science. Just make up your mind to stop and stop. Who knew? I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'm eating out of dumpsters in Houston, Texas. I mean, who knew that? I mean, all I needed to do is just tell that cat, you can have the piece of chicken. I'm out of here. I'm gone. I'm just not going to drink one day at a time. Oh, my gosh. Come on, guys. Y'all need to get on the same page with me here, hopefully. You can see what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly sarcastic here. I'm trying to say our own membership is allowed to give misrepresentation to what the book is trying to tell us. It's the only game in town that we have to deal with here is the 12 steps. You don't want to work the 12 steps? This won't work for you. I don't know what to tell you. But if you work them, you're going to have a spiritual experience. I'm not sure I believe in God. Would you be interested in working the steps anyway? Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Welcome. It'll work for you. Trust me, you're fixing to believe in God. You're going to be taken to a place you've never been before. But this goddamn watering down of our message so that everybody stays comfortable and nice and easy. Anything goes any way you want to do it. I mean, you look at the title page of the grapevine. It says, because everybody has a divergent, their own way of working the steps. That's what our publication is about. Well, that's why our success rates are so low. That's why so many people continue to relapse. Come on, guys. I'm talking to a lady down in the, in the valley. Real quick, i got to go. I talked to a lady down the valley and after I talked one time, and part of my story, my history, is that I was able to get off all of these medications, very costly side effect medications. And I was able to get off because I'd worked the 12 steps. And with a doctor's care, I weaned myself off these medications and a good sponsor, and I was able to get taken to a different spot. And it's part of my miracle. It's like some of y'all miracle, you want to talk about having babies from the, from the podium. I just That is certainly not my miracle. But it can be your miracle. How cool is that? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's, 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 you would not get up from the podium and not share that miracle because that's, that's your miracle. My miracle was I'm med free from a guy that took meds all of his adult life and now I'm med free. And this lady got up after I talked and she was pissing pants mad, you know. I'm 13 years sober, and I'm 13 years sober because I went to a doctor and a doctor gave me some sleep medication and that's why I'm sober today. Okay. So you're telling me that you couldn't stop drinking because you couldn't sleep, and you were drinking to sleep. That's correct. And I, and you got a doctor and gave you some sleep medications, and now you can sleep, and now you don't drink. That's correct. You're not an alcoholic. It was not on her Christmas card list. Don't you all understand? <laughs> she was pissed. Okay, is she welcome in a fellowship? Yes. Is she okay to do that? But can you imagine the women that she sponsors, what she tells them to do? Oh, and honey, I bet you're having trouble sleeping too, aren't you? You understand that? I mean, come on, Joy. What are they going to do? The first thing out. That's, you know, don't worry about those steps right now. I got a doctor for you. We're going to go get you some of this thing. All that started happening. We never saw a problem with it until 1997 in the United States when the pharmaceutical companies were allowed legally to advertise to the public. Before that, they could just advertise to doctors. Now it's on every goddamn television and newspaper articles and all this stuff. And they could advertise. And that's why we got it. We, got, we, we self-medicate. We're the, we're the masters at it. Make sense? 
Yeah. She can stay sober doing that, but the real alcoholic is not going to be able to do that. That's the bottom line. The mixed messages. If you look at some of the literature, question and answers on sponsorship. I'm going to do a little sponsorship workshop this afternoon. We're going to talk specifically for an hour about it. It's going to be pretty fun. You'll notice that I do not have that brochure up here, question and answers on sponsorship. Because it's right up there with living sober. If you look at them, any of you guys that have read it, I mean, if you look at it trying to help yourselves be a, good, a better sponsor, what it'll do is you'll read this as, oh, my God, I'm never going to go back. If I have to do all of this to be a sponsor, I'm going to shoot myself. You know what I mean? Back over on the last page, but right before it ends, it says, oh, and you might want to do the steps with a newcomer. Like it's an afterthought. <laughs> God. Un- <laughs> Unbelievable. Here's the bottom line. I'll say it again. We can go lunch. The, um, we, uh, after qualified me, uh, the next morning we got on our knees and did a third step prayer. We talked about God a little bit, and I don't have a problem with God. And we did a third step prayer, and he explained to me how that obligates me to share hope with you. We got up and went to lunch and came back, and they gave me a notebook said, let's start working on a fourth step. Now, I'm two days. I'm detoxing in this meeting, and I'm working on a fourth step. You follow? Everybody says, that's too quick. Guys, I've been in AA for seven years and I've never worked any steps. Uh, this is not too quick for Chris Raymer. We get, it's by time. <laughs> Pull the finger out. Let's go. You know, let's, let's get busy. And I, I'm starting to work on it like that. And he gave me a little deadline on it. And I, I, and I was pissed. You know, I, was, I, I can't possibly do this. I'm too confused. He said, Chris, just start writing the people you're pissed at. Put the name of the people that you hate on a piece of paper. And we'll talk about it at 6 o'clock tonight. And I said, well, I'm going to put your damn name on the paper. I gotta... <laughs> and I did. And I did, and he, la- he laughed, and I, I still have him say it to me. But the deal was, the beauty was, two weeks later, I've got a completed four-step. I've chaired my first meeting. He's teaching me the disciplines of 10 and 11. You with us? Where I daily I look at my stuff, and I watch my actions with women and what I'm doing, and I'm paying attention to what I'm doing a little bit. And I'm sitting on the tailgate of my truck up in North Texas, and it dawns on me that the obsession to drink is lifted. And I wish I could explain what that looked like. But I'm sitting on this tailgate, and there's a big old full moon up in North Texas, and it's colder than hell out there. And I, got, I smell the, the frost from my breath, you know. And I'm sitting there on this old beat-up pickup truck, and for the first time in my adult life, first time in my adult life, I'm free. I don't want to drink. I don't want to do cocaine. I don't want to eat pills. I'm free. Not one day at free. I'm surrounded by liquor stores. I got a tab in that bar across the street. My dope dealer lives in the apartment complex where I live. I got money in my pocket. It's a Friday night, two weeks in, and I'm recovered. I, the, the miracle has come true to me. I haven't dumped the fifth step yet. I'm fixing to get rocketed doing that. I haven't made any amends yet. I'm fixing to. You with us? Long before. But for the first time in seven years, I've actually taken my place in, in the fellowship, in the program, in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm doing the work, and the obsession lifts. And that was 23 years ago, folks. And I just got to say it. I, I, I've been sober through some wonderful times. I've got a charmed life, a beautiful life. Uh, I've had some tough times. This year has been crazy. I left a job after 17 years, and Mark died after 17. I mean, I, I just... It's just been crazy, uh, up, just nothing steady with me. You know, it's just been nuts. Not once in that time, not once did the obsession to use come back. And that's what I want to tell some of you that are, that are struggling, just coming out of treatment, or the belief that this is just going to be a battle. It's not. Sometimes it's a battle to stay on the spiritual path. I've got to do some things that I don't want to do. But the obsession to use is going to stay gone, folks. This is for keeps. This is, this is how Bill Wilson understood it. Let's go eat. I'll see you all early afternoon. Thank you.